It's the Victorian Variety Show. For nearly 40 years, crowned heads and famous people climbed the narrow staircase in German Street to visit McDonald and to leave bearing some of the most wonderful ornaments ever placed on human skin. A well-spoken, intelligent, and gentle man, Sutherland McDonald made friends of his customers who treated him as an equal. This is the Victorian Variety Show podcast, where I discuss aspects of life during the Victorian era that you may not have learned about in school or heard about in the media, or maybe you have heard about them, but from a more, shall I say, traditional perspective, in which case I hope to inspire you to consider it from a different perspective. My name is Marissa. I'm a history enthusiast, and I'm especially interested in the Victorian era because so many things I've been heavily interested in over the years either can be traced back to that time or were dealt with in a rather unique way during that time that I believe people should hear more about. And this week, I'm going to talk about something that honestly I never much associated with the Victorian era before I started doing this podcast. And I realize now that that probably was a mistake on my part because I found some fascinating articles on this phenomenon when I was putting this episode together. And it's a topic that I think listeners will be interested in because in general, a lot of people I know are interested in it. I'm going to be talking about tattoos. And the quote I read at the top is taken from the memoirs of George Burkett, a British tattoo artist who got his start toward the end of the 19th century, but seems to have mostly worked in the first half of the 20th century, who was writing about one of his rivals, Sutherland MacDonald, whom Paul Gallagher describes as, quote, the first identifiable professional tattooist in England, end quote, in an article called Tattoo You, Meet Victorian England's First Tattoo Artists, which I'll include a link to in the show notes, along with all of the other sources that I consulted in putting this episode together. If you're a fan of this type of body art, it probably will come as no surprise to you that tattooing predated the Victorian era by several millennia. In How Tattoos Became Fashionable in Victorian England, Robert Shoemaker and Zoe Alker point out that evidence of tattooing can be found as far back as 4000 BC in a number of cultures. In some cases, for example, ancient Greece and Rome, tattooing was used to mark slaves and criminals. But people throughout the world have also used it as a voluntary means of self-expression for many centuries. For example, early Christians were known to get religious tattoos to profess their beliefs, which is very likely why, in what is now commonly referred to as quote-unquote Western culture, tattooing disappeared for a considerable length of time after Pope Hadrian banned it in 787 AD 
citing that God created our bodies in his image so that when one gets inked, one basically defaces the gift that God gave them. As Alicia Belden points out in the history of Christianity and tattoo culture, when the quote-unquote new world was being explored by England, Spain, France, and other predominantly Christian nations, missionaries who were tasked with converting those who were known at the time as quote-unquote savages caused tattooing to cease among cultures for whom tattooing had been an essential part of life for generations. This included some Native American and Polynesian tribes. However, things started to change around the 1600s. Shoemaker and Alker note that according to the so-called traditional narrative, tattooing started to be practiced again in the West in the late 1700s after Captain Cook came into contact with the tattooed inhabitants of Tahiti in 1769. But some scholars have found evidence of 17th century sailors and soldiers engaging in this practice. There's some gray area here, I think, because photography, which is frequently used to document tattooing and just about everything else in our day and age, let's face it, didn't exist until the mid-19th century, which is also probably why most instances of tattooing that were documented in the 1700s seem to be in conjunction with soldiers, sailors, and most of all, convicted criminals. As Shoemaker and Alker suggest that individuals from these groups were most likely to have markings on their bodies recorded for identification purposes. Shoemaker and Alker further point out that the subject matter for tattoos prior to and during the Victorian era was rather varied. Among convicts, part of the reason why tattoos became popular may have been because many of them were sent to carry out their sentences in faraway lands, never to return in a number of cases. And as a result, having a tattoo might help them remember a loved one or reflect on some other aspect of their life back home, such as their national identity, religious beliefs, things they enjoyed, which included alcohol, cards, smoking, dancing, and adult subject matter, which I don't feel I need to get further into because you probably know what I'm talking about. And a lot of these convicts were sent to Australia which, due in part to overcrowding in many prisons in England, served primarily as a penal colony until the late 1860s. But given the widespread imperialism during the Victorian age, which I plan on discussing more in the near future, I suspect many sailors and other military personnel who were being sent halfway around the world and weren't sure if their ships would make it may have gotten tattoos for much the same reason that convicts who were being sent away did. Again, however, tattoos featured a wide range of subject matter. So in addition to anchors, some other popular naval tattoo designs were mermaids, ships, flags, the sun, the moon, the stars, and things in that vein. 
Shoemaker and Alger note that naval tattoos were usually seen on visible parts of the body, such as on the hands and forearms. And for example of how tattoos were recorded for soldiers during this era, an article on the Compass Rose Design site called Tattoo Culture in the Victorian Era notes that in the U.S., tattooing was used often as a safeguard against anonymity during the Civil War. And when you consider the high number of Civil War deaths on both sides of the conflict, you can see the strong need for tattooing as a practical purpose. Shoemaker and Alker go on to essentially debunk the belief among many 19th century criminologists, social observers, and members of the press that tattoos were proof of a, quote, criminal character, end quote. This belief was inspired primarily by the so-called five dots tattoo that was seen between the thumb and forefinger of the so-called 40 thieves, a group of juvenile delinquents who committed robberies on London roads in the 1820s. According to the London Standard in an 1829 article, the 40 thieves, quote, recognized each other by five blue spots on the hand, which was made by gunpowder, end quote. But Shoemaker and Alker point out that although this tattoo was popular among convicts until the 1870s, its appearance was too widespread for it to have been a way for convicts to identify each other per se. It kind of reminds me of that phrase I heard in grad school about correlation not equaling causation. In other words, just because a lot of convicts happened to have this tattoo didn't mean that it was a sign of their character. Plus, dots were popular because they were a simple tattoo that could be easily used for decorative purposes, namely, what Shoemaker and Alker refer to as, quote, working class jewelry that was cheap and easy to administer, end quote. Dots could be easily arranged to represent rings around a finger, constellations, and symbols representing love. So in the 1870s, the popularity of tattoos among a more diverse segment of the population can be seen possibly due to increased attention paid to tattoos by the press. People were becoming more aware of tattoos based on what sailors reported having seen on their voyages and tattooed quote-unquote freaks who were often very popular in circuses and sideshows. As Emma Taylor points out in Naughty Secrets, Full Body Statements, Convict Codes, tattoos in Victorian times were more popular than you think, it wasn't uncommon for women with no other means of financial security to get tattoos all over their body and then join a sideshow. In the 1880s, Shoemaker and Alker explained that a quote-unquote tattooing craze developed among elites, including Edward, Prince of Wales, one of Queen Victoria's sons, Prince Albert Victor, as well as, according to rumor, Queen Victoria herself. If you're wondering, the Queen's tattoo was reportedly of a tiger fighting a python, according to Taylor. One reason members of the elite got tattooed was to commemorate travel to distant lands. For example, 
In Tattooing, a fad of the late 19th century, Jerry Walton notes that Prince Albert Victor, the future George V, and Lord Charles Beresford, a British Admiral and Member of Parliament, got tattoos while visiting Japan in the 1880s. In addition, the popularity of American showman Buffalo Bill and his touring Wild West shows in the late 1800s not only led many fans to get tattoos commemorating the shows they attended, kind of like how we buy t-shirts at concerts today, although those aren't permanent. I don't even have most of my concert t-shirts when I used to go in high school and college, unfortunately. And if they attended with their lover, said lover's name, but also inspired tattoo artists to develop templates bearing busts of Buffalo Bill. As you might imagine, as the popularity of tattoos grew in the late 19th century, so did the need for tattoo artists, shops, and equipment. According to an article on Black Widow Tattoo called Tattoo Pioneers, Samuel O'Reilly, Connecticut-born O'Reilly opened a tattoo shop in the Bowery section of New York City in the late 1800s, catering to about a dozen tattooed ladies and a number of other noted sideshow performers. And in 1891, O'Reilly patented the first electronic tattoo machine, which was based on an autographic printing pen invented by Thomas Edison. In England, the aforementioned Sutherland MacDonald, a veteran of the British Army in the 1870s, came back home to run a tattoo parlor at 76 German Street in London and became the first registered quote-unquote tattooist in the London Post Office Directory in 1894. According to Paul Gallagher, MacDonald actually came up with the word tattooist, which is a shortened version of quote-unquote tattoo artist. As Gallagher explains, McDonald preferred to refer to himself as a tattooist as opposed to tattooer because, quote, it sounded more upmarket, more professional, and far more descriptive for the talents of an artist who drew pictures on the skin, end quote. Now, that may seem like a relatively minor point, but I think it goes to show how possibly because some people associated tattoos with criminality, you saw others claiming that tattooing could actually be a respectable profession and that it appealed to a wide variety of individuals as a valid means of self-expression. The claims that MacDonald tattooed a number of members of the royal families of several countries, such as the kings of Norway and Denmark and George V, all of whom, according to Nick Clark in Sutherland MacDonald, Britain's first professional tattoo artist celebrated in new exhibition at the Museum of London. MacDonald claimed he tattooed. Those seem to have drawn a lot of prospective clients to Sutherland's shop and contributed to his success at the time, but they don't really seem to be backed up by proof. However, there is no denying the contributions that MacDonald made to the world of tattooing which included his own electric tattooing machine, patented in 1894. I'm going to end my discussion of Victorian era tattooing for now, but I want to add that even though I originally intended for this to be a somewhat 
shall we say, lighter episode. Given the seriousness of the last few I've done on Victorian era mental asylums and the next few I'm thinking of doing, I learned a lot in putting this episode together. And I think this topic is one that kind of raises some questions about how a lot of people normally think about the Victorian era. For example, it's true that there were strict standards of dress, particularly for women during this time. So to me, it makes even more sense that tattoos became trendy as more people became aware of them. Maybe the strict dress standards made people even more desirous of a way to assert their individuality. And a tattoo was a relatively easy way for them to do it. As Emma Taylor put it, quote, I like to imagine that the women of the 1800s who were constantly judged for their looks and manners got a special kind of satisfaction from having a small piece of body art that was just for them, end quote. I'm with Emma on that one. But also, as I've explained numerous times in previous episodes, the Victorian period was a time when people were questioning traditional beliefs about a lot of things, and I don't see why tattoos wouldn't be among them. Although it's not true that the stigma regarding tattoos disappeared during the Victorian era, unfortunately, tattoos continue to be stigmatized to this day in certain parts of society, it seems likely to me that a lot of individuals were also realizing that there's something that can be appreciated about body art, and that perhaps it's not fair to judge someone just because they have an image or symbol that, in many cases, holds a deeply personal meaning to them somewhere on their person. But let me know what you think. Email me at the Victorian Variety Show at gmail.com and follow me on Twitter at, at VictorianVariety1. You can also leave me a voice message at anchor.fm slash Marissa hyphen D96 slash message. Also, if you would like to support the show financially, you can do so by buying me a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com slash marissadf13 or by clicking on the tip jar if you're listening to this on Good Pods. And finally, I'd really appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, or wherever you're listening as that'll help a lot more people find out about this show. Thanks so much for listening and for all of your feedback and retweets. I hope you found this episode enjoyable and that you can see how looking at something like tattoos, something that you wouldn't necessarily think historians would pay attention to, can tell you quite a bit about a time period and the people who lived during that time. I hear people say every now and then that they always found history boring. And on the one hand, that makes me want to scream. But on the other, I can kind of understand it when I look at how history tends to be taught in schools very often. I don't think it's generally taught in a way that many people can relate to. But I think if we look at something like tattoos, which whether or not we personally like them, we're familiar with them, and if we don't have them ourselves, we most likely know at least a few people who have them, we can understand better what history can show us and why we should care. 
I'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode on a topic that probably will have nothing to do with body art. But in the meantime, I'll leave you with a quote from Samuel O'Reilly that Walton included in her article that I think not only explains why tattooing was so popular in New York City, O'Reilly's home, in the late 19th century, but also speaks to what is so often the case with history, that the more things change, the more they stay the same. But I just want to put in a quick disclaimer here about O'Reilly's quote. I do not think children should be able to get tattoos unless they're the rub-on kind that I used to get when I was a kid that would wear off after like two days. The permanent ones should be for consenting adults only. So I just wanted to make that clear. No, it is not a fad. It's a mania. More than that, it's contagious. When a man, woman, or child sees someone who is tattooed, he or she or it immediately wants to follow. And another thing, in most cases, persons won't stop with one design. They want to have another and another especially if they see some striking design on another person's wrist or arm.